You are listening to Life Improvement Radio on the Helium Radio Network. Hey everybody, how are you doing today? Aaron Richmond here for another exciting episode of Aaron's Opinion, the podcast for blind people where we speak about critical issues in the blindness community from all over the world. Telephone number for text message contributions or voicemails or you just want to get in touch. 1-240-681-9869. 1-240-681-9869. Aaron's Opinion 6 at gmail.com. A-A-R-O-N-S-O-P-I-N-I-O-N 6 at gmail.com. Follow on Facebook and Twitter. Even consider becoming a patron on my Patreon page and even comment below right here on YouTube. Wherever you enjoy watching or listening to Aaron's opinion, I appreciate the support. Um, you know, it it really goes without saying, I think. And my, my speech is going to be pretty brief in this intro because it's all positive things. This particular episode is with a man by the name of Brandon Piani. Um, he is the founder of... Basically, he'll explain it all to you in in a minute when I put him on. But he is the founder of Tactile Training. Um, It's sort of like this. He believes that people who are blind need and who have disabilities need to be exercising and need to live a healthy life. And he's created a system of courses where someone can exercise and understand from a, from a blindness perspective, how certain exercises feel and what things and how, you know, how our body works and how exercises need to feel for us to be properly exercising. Um, He explains it in great detail, and he explains it a lot better than I, because it's not my background. But, you know, sometimes you encounter people that have so much kindness and care so much and take so much ownership and love in what they do that you really really have to just be supportive. And I am, uh, for very good reason, because Brandon is extremely, extremely knowledgeable um, about his product and his passion and his his level of interest for what he does completely seeped through and um, I just really 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 appreciate when guests come here and many of you have and every single guest just keeps getting better and better but I love guests like Brandon and like so many of you who just love what they do and show me how much they care and show me how interested they are in what they're talking about. I mean, Brandon takes just a thousand percent. He's a thousand percent there. He's a thousand percent interested in, in, in his product and what he does. And this is, this is someone that's worth learning from. So I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. I really learned a lot. Um, I really got a lot, a lot out of it, especially because it's not even my field. It's not even my background. So it was especially interesting for me, you know, to hear about, you know, exercise science and all of the different technology that Brandon is working on and has worked on. So it's just really good to hear someone who cares so much. And we need, we need more people like Brandon in the podcast community and in the education sector and So this episode, I hope, will be shared, and I hope that more people will listen to not only what Brandon says, but how he says it and how he approaches life, because it's definitely definitely on the right track here, definitely the right thing. So I really enjoyed it, especially when he clicked his pen. So let's call this episode, 
Let's call this episode, Piani Clicked His Pen. Um, anyway, today's episode, and of course, you know, he was such a great guest, such a great guest, of course, I'm going to have to joke around a little bit, you know, that's the beauty of podcasting, you know, you have to, you have to be, you have to be able to joke around a little in a, in a very serious podcast, which actually today's episode is pretty serious, it's about health and fitness and life and things like that, so this is a really, really good one to listen to, um, I would say that for any episode, really, but wow, today's guest really, just really pleased me. Um, mostly, I, I mean, you know, I love the product, but as you're going to see in this episode, as I said before, I love Brandon's attitude and attitude's everything. All right. So Piani clicked his pen recorded on the 9th of August at 1200 New York. Uh, so thanks so much. I'm sure you guys are going to love this episode today. Uh, you might be listening to this podcast at any time around the world, so I'm not going to say what time it is there, but on the radio side, it's definitely Thursday, definitely 12 o'clock. It's time for Aaron's opinion on Life Improvement Radio on the Helium Radio Network. Well, I wanted to take this time and thank you so much for joining me today, Brandon. My first question that the guests would probably want to know is, so who are you? Who is Brandon Pione? And basically walk me through what is um, tactile training, walk me through the whole history from A to Z, and we'll go from there. All right, go ahead. I love it. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me here, Aaron. It's absolutely my pleasure to be a guest on your podcast. I think this is going to be a really productive and fruitful conversation. My pleasure. You're always welcome here, of course. Well, thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this all weekend, so I'm really, really excited to be here. Oh, so and, good. Uh, yeah, and uh, just to start, my name is Brandon Piani. I am currently residing in Philadelphia. I was born and raised in Delaware. A little bit about my background. Um, I attended University of Delaware, where I received my bachelor's degree in exercise science. Um, and while I was there, I think that was more or less where I began working with individuals with a variety of disabilities. And that is more or less the beginning where I guess the inception of how I started on my journey to where I am now. So as I was in college, I began working with a nonprofit organization called Yes You Can. Um, and to this organization, I have nothing but great things to say. And my friend is the CEO and founder who I eventually began to train. But this is an organization that actually would pair undergraduate students with individuals with a large variety of disabilities. Um, so I met many wonderful people working with this organization. And this is where I really found my, my passion for helping individuals and for training. And this is kind of what charted my direction more or less away from being a physical therapist, more towards personal training, because I enjoyed the variety and I guess the ability to be creative and unique with my approach to training individuals. Um, and that was kind of where it started. And from there, I ended up working with the founder who has multiple sclerosis. And I ended up becoming her trainer. And we worked very closely together for about three or four more years. And I'm still involved with the organization. I do a variety of, I guess, charity or nonprofit events that they do yearly to try and help out. So I'm still very good friends with them. Um, so this is a just clear shout out to Vicki. She is a wonderful individual. I hope she does get to hear this. I'm sure she would be very happy. Um, but she pretty much put me on my track of absolutely falling in love with training and working with individuals with a variety of disabilities. 
from there, I graduated and I went to Philadelphia. And once I reached Philadelphia, I began working with McGee Rehabilitation, who has recently partnered with Jefferson. Um, and there, I worked in a locomotor retraining lab to help individuals who have suffered traumatic brain and spinal cord injuries learn to rewalk. So these are people who can either be newly paraplegic, some of them quadriplegic, or some individuals who may be in between trying to regain some degree of ability to, I guess, walk throughout the day. And what we did there was a physical hands-on application through the use of a suspended, I guess, carriage to assist the individual to walk over top of a treadmill. And we would manually or physically help these individuals walk through a gait pattern on a treadmill. And this was something I absolutely loved doing. And I worked there for quite a while before I then transitioned to corporate fitness. And that was where I met my first client who was blind. And that is where my transition towards tactile training started. Um, we trained together for quite a while and then COVID started, which was a complete and total curveball that I was not expecting. And that is more or less where everything kind of changed. We had to then transition from our insight personal training sessions to now no longer having that physical connection where we could work through exercise together and have those physical feedback cues, me to kind of guide him through different movements and learn with that model. So we had to adapt and think outside of the box. And this is where we kind of worked and created a unique way to kind of describe movements based on how they feel as opposed to how they look or sound and without the actual need for me to be there. So we use unique things, whether it be you know, the use of props or things like that to assist in the actual training. And that is kind of the early and I guess a short gift wrap conception of how we kind of came to where we are. Outstanding. I, I absolutely love your background. I just love it. It's, it's really, really fascinating. And it's just so good. You know, it's all about doing the right thing. And I, I really appreciate that. Um, of course, I have questions. Uh, you know, everything you said is interesting. First of all, when you're, and several of my guests and some of the people here at Aaron's Opinion have uh, been through various medical procedures, um, so would relate to what you were saying, how you, you used to train people, teach them how to walk after a, a, a TBI, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so exactly one question that I have is, so how do you kind of teach someone how to walk after such a severe injury? And what I mean is, how does that really work for another as it relates to the next thing, the tactile training. How do you kind of make, turn visual concepts into things that are tactile? So if you can cover those topics, I wanna to learn more about that. Absolutely, I would love to expand on that. You really gave me a plethora of fun conversations to kind of unpack here. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into some of the, the meat on this. So to start, as far as retraining an individual to walk post-TBI or SCI, um, that is actually a pretty interesting and relatively new concept. Uh, the work that I did with McGee was actually grant-funded based on research that had demonstrated that there's a pattern called reciprocal inhibition that occurs through your, I guess, motor neurons that occur throughout the spinal cord. And what they found through doing a relatively crude but effective study was that if you were to take a cat and this again sounds rough cut a portion of its spinal cord um, so it was i guess paralyzed from the mid waist down and what they found was if they were actually able to then hold the cat's tail up and have it walk on a treadmill and they were able to manually think pulling your knee 
through flexion and then pushing it back down through extension and also manipulating the actual gait pattern of a normal walking stride, the cat was actually able to somewhat regain its ability to walk. And this is because there's coupling that occurs at a very localized spot, I guess, to make this as simple as possible, where if you take one step forward, the other will be ready to go back and then vice versa. So this coupling occurs on a really local and small scale area. And with that information, they then extrapolated that and tried to expand it to more human-based trials. And they found that individuals were able to regain some, and in some cases, quite a lot of mobility, provided there's still a little bit of connectivity there. And this has actually led to tremendous, I guess, progress in individuals being able to come back and actually regain some semblance of proper gait. Um, and with that, they've created a variety of mobility aids and techs. They're basically transformer-like suits now that can assist people in walking. And it's really amazing because as you continue to work on this, the reciprocal inhibition and the coupling mechanism that occurs can actually help individuals slowly get better at it and they can build some muscle mass. And it was really just a profound and amazing experience being able to physically help these people through the patterns. So literally my hand would be underneath their patella. So underneath the kneecap, one hands around the ankle, you would pull the knee into extension. So think you're marching in place, the knee comes up. While you do this, you want to scoop and push the foot back, which is the basic mechanism as if you're stepping into a stride. And then once you reach the top of the stride, you flip the hand down and push the knee back while simultaneously pushing the back of the heel forward. And what we would basically do is manually move these people through strides and they would try and help as much as possible. Um, so that was a really unique experience in, in so much of what that was. And as far as extrapolating and trying to take some of that information and then apply it into, I guess, training individuals without sight and then try and describe things in a unique pattern, I think that my work with my, my current client, Tom, really was a huge assistance in that. Um, that was completely new grounds for me. We had both never tried to work virtually in a sense where I'm not physically there. So it did take a little bit of time for us to figure out what worked and what didn't work. And what I found quickly was that I, I couldn't be vague in the sense that I couldn't say, you know, it, it should like kind of look like you're doing this. I can, you can never say that. So it has to be, it should feel like this. And what that evolved into quickly was me lying down or me standing up and thinking about what a movement felt like when done correctly and then describing it. So just to give a quick example, it would be, let's say I need to have somebody reach a 90 degree bend when you squat. So to describe what that would feel like, I would say when you get to the bottom where you think you are squatting, the way you can check is by placing your hand where your belly button and your hip meets. And if it feels like a 90 degree corner, so where two walls meet or a bend, if that portion right there, that bend, so when we're sitting down, if it feels like a 90 degree bend, like a corner, it means you're about where you should be. So it's these descriptors that make sense so you can feel it as opposed to see it. Does that generally make sense? I know I just rambled for a little bit there, but I hope that- I wanted, I, I wanted that's, that's the point of the podcast. I'm trying to get you to talk, so. <laughs> I'm I'm hoping that a guest will 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 ramble. That that's the sign of a great guest. Yes, it makes sense, and I think that this is really 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 important. Um, perhaps, I mean, I know that you know that this is important, but it's also very important to know 
that a lot of blind people, especially children and teens and young people, which I don't think you work with too many children, but a lot of blind children are not being included appropriately in physical education. I'm sure you've heard of this. And I'm sure you're aware of the importance of, of, of physical education. This is a huge problem in, in the community. I just spoke a couple weeks ago. I spoke with a blind woman who is a physical education teacher, and she's training in the university right now for this very subject. So this is something that really affects blind people because too many of them um, are not exercising appropriately, and then other health things come from it, and it just it really affects the quality of a blind person's life. Quite frankly, I think exercise affects the quality of anyone's life, but it's especially good if you have a disability, it's especially important. So as far as I understand what you mean by you describing the way that things feel, but you also say tactile. So tactile touch, right? So do you have you developed or invented any tools for blind people that make exercising more accessible and more tactile? So I haven't actually created any products per se that are going to be unique in the field of it's something you can purchase and touch and feel. So the use of tactile feedback, more or less in the most common example I would then provide would be the use of common props. Because like you just said, Aaron, the number one issue is accessibility and trying to get as many people involved as possible. And I do believe that keeping things as cost effective and approachable is going to be the number one goal here. I think there's been a lot of othering or discomfort and I think fitness becomes increasingly difficult to access, especially when so many gyms don't have very clear layouts. They're confusing. There's not trained staff or there's not even staff that's going to want to help individuals learn the mapping of a room. Um, and I think that a lot of that comes with like the stigma of it and people feel uncomfortable then going to the gym if they don't know where everything is. And then you're thinking, well, crap, I'm going to waste 20 minutes just finding the set of dumbbells that I need. And you don't want to ask for help or something along those lines. So it's mostly been boiled down to a sense of I'm trying to provide feedback by using things such as, let's say, I encourage somebody to place a block, a book, or a pillow on your back. And I refer to some of these cues throughout the audio programs that I use, because that will actually provide that tactile feedback. You can feel when things feel right. So not only are you going to use your own sense of touch to feel what something feels like physically on your body when you're doing it correctly, I describe how it should feel. And you can also use props. So again, let's say we're trying to do a plank which is a core exercise, we would then use the addition of, say, a pillow, a book. You can even, heck, throw your phone on your back. And if it slides to one side or the other, that is your actual feedback right there to know when you're doing something correctly. If it slides to one side, heck, it means you need to probably lift that side of your hip up a little bit. And this feedback provides some, I guess, just simple self-guidance so you're not quite as worried about, well, does this look right? Am I doing this correct? You can literally know you're doing it correctly by the physical parameters of using certain objects such as that. And this is really, again, it's not about needing the technology. It's about the accessibility of it. Because like you said, it's a huge issue and very few people feel comfortable learning to exercise. So majority of what this is, is creating education that's simple so people can feel competent and comfortable going to the gym. And they should. And that's, that's really, really important. Yeah. Um, so what other, so besides this particular blind person that you mentioned, what other projects have you and he uh, worked on and what other things have you developed um, in, in your training? 
So we're really looking um, forward to getting back in person really soon. So my full-time job, I actually do work at Comcast in Philadelphia. I'm a personal trainer there. My title would be an exercise specialist. And we are actually very excited to start working together. Um, I'm also a Spartan coach. So if you've ever heard of Spartan races, we've been talking about doing those together, um, but we haven't been able to train in person in so long. So we're kind of waiting more or less to get back in sight and get back in, in person to be doing these things together. And we're, we're looking forward to actually starting to train together to either do some form of event, whether we start running races together or something along those lines. Um, that will be a whole new experience because really we've been robbed of the past year and a half, almost two years now of training together. And I think that our relationship and our comfort level and our ability to train together has gotten even better, even though it's been virtual for the past almost two years. But I have a lot of confidence that that's where we're going to head. I think we're going to start doing some competition training. I know he's excited about it. He's got a pool and he's been swimming quite a bit. He's also ran a triathlon. So it should be good fun. And I think that's going to be the next direction that the two of us take things as far as training goes. Um, whether or not we create anything, that will be something that is left open for interpretation. Um, I don't necessarily want to be telling everybody who my client is just to respect his privacy rights, but he's created some pretty amazing technology in the field himself, and he is a wonderful guy. So that being said, I think he's done a lot of good for the community. Um, and I won't say that we aren't creating anything, but I think it's very, very viable that we could in the future. But for now, I think we're going to be focusing on getting together and doing maybe a, another triathlon or an event when we get back in person, which should be happening in the next couple months. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. It's been it's been really crazy with the pandemic. Everything everything has been completely thrown off course. Um, I mean, for me, I was able to get into podcasting and really maximize what I do at my work and in, in the podcast. But still, everything has just been totally just blown right off course. I, I don't really know. I mean, I don't really know how some of the major gyms are even really able to stay in business. It's quite, it's quite, it's quite a miracle that we still even have gyms now because a lot of people just stopped going to them um, dur during the, during the pandemic. Yeah. Funny, uh, one funny little, little anecdote, the gym in my, in my community where I live, you're going to, you're going to love this and, <laughs> and you're going to love it. And you've probably heard it before. Let so they man. told, so they told all the people at this local gym that you need to, you need to wear masks. Right. Right. And, but they didn't, but they didn't say that you need to wear the mask over, over your face, right? Like a normal person, right? <laughs> Correct. They just, they just said, you need to wear masks. So all the people came in with their masks around their neck. <laughs> I hate to say it, but I think it's actually kind of funny. The, yeah, the loose is. speculation and guidelines has been such yeah. a mess, but it... So then, so then get this. So then they send out, apparently it was report, my brother, parents reported it to me. So then they had to send, send out another mass email. No, no, we mean... Wear the mask covering your nose and mouth. That means wear a mask. <laughs> you can't just bring it with you and wear it around your neck like a skull. No, I mean, I thought, I really was confused because I thought wearing a mask means I can crumple it up in a little ball and put it in my back pocket. I mean, you know, so I, I, I think, so my point is, I think that it helps that you're able to describe things for people because you might have to tell someone to wear a mask over their mouth and nose, right? Or like the little things that, we would think that we don't need to explain. We actually do. And, and that's, that's a sarcastic example, but that's also a really good example of being able to, to describe things accurately for people. So 
Um, I mean, all, all of the, all of this is really is really really fascinating. What and can you can you remind me or remind the listener if they don't know what is a Spartan race? You mentioned that too. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, there's a variety of different Spartan race events. Um, there are variety of difficulties to them, and the difficulty comes in the length of the event as well as the number of obstacles that will be in them. So depending on where you want to do, uh, let's say you want to do a shorter one, you can do a stadium, which would be like a shorter one and say like the Philly Stadium at Citizens Bank Park, which is one that I think is coming up in the next couple of months that I'm really excited about. I'm going to try and do that and bring my significant other to do that. So hopefully she'll be excited to join me on that. Um, and I'm hoping to also bring my client. I think that would be very fun, but he might need some coaxing. We'll see. We're trying to get some training in person done ASAP. Um, but essentially it's a combination of a run-based event with obstacles throughout it. So if you've ever heard like a mud run, the tough mudder, things like that, that is essentially what a Spartan race is. Um, and these are events that are typically hosted nationwide and they can range from like a 5k to a much longer thing, think half marathon to whole marathon with 20, 30 or so obstacles in it. And the obstacles can be as crazy as climbing underneath barbed wire to jumping over fire or hoisting up a 150 pound sandbag to carrying buckets of concrete. It's pretty crazy. Um, and it's really fun. And it's, it's just a lot of a uh, nuts competition, but it's really, really exciting and fun stuff. So I'm hoping I can convince my client to want to join me with that. I think he will. He's a pretty crazy dude. He likes doing fun stuff like that. So I don't think we'll have any difficulty breaching our way into that, but that is what they are. They're really exciting. Anybody who's interested in learning more about them, you can always go on Spartan's website. They always have events going on and they're typically in the middle of just open rural land because they need quite a bit of space to host them, but you can register for them in advance. And I think they're, they're pretty fun. They're pretty, pretty nuts to do though. So it's like an unusual, fun, exciting race where you have to go through obstacles. And it's just basically for the for the fun of it and for the exercise and for the and for the competition element. Yeah, absolutely. That's mm. spot on. That is spot on. But again, like you were saying, devil's in the details. So they're always crazy in the details of the events. I don't think you can look up the specific obstacles that are going to be there until you get there. So you right. don't always know what you're going to be jumping into until you arrive. And you're like, oh, mm. crap, this one's going to be tough. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And how do they decide what their obstacles will be? Um, so I think it's really based on the local designer who's going to do it or the local team that's going to go to the site. They change every year and they haven't had many in the past year and a half, just obviously because of COVID regulations. So like I said, I'm looking forward to doing the stadium, which is a shorter one. They call the shorter ones usually sprints because they're only going to be anywhere from a mile and a half to a 5k. Um, but I believe it's going to be the local design team that will actually do it. And the people who put on the events will travel across the U.S. to the different sites. Hmm. Excellent. Good. Really good. I mean, for me, my sport, I mean, I don't really do sports, um, but my activity that I would say is my sport would be hiking. So I, lo I love, love to that. go, love hiking. Hiking is, I think, oftentimes overlooked. Um, but it's a really good activity for so many reasons. Uh, you're outside, you're in nature, you're navigating things. It's a very, very, very active um, activity. But what about you? What's your, what's your dream hike? And do you go hiking a lot? I do go hiking a lot. And it is one of my absolute favorite activities as well. So I'm going to reciprocate the question after I tell you where mine is. Um, I would like to do, maybe I want to go to Zion. That's Definitely on my bucket list. I'd like to go over there. I want to do the Half Dome out in California. 
I think that would be a really extreme hike, but I'm very excited to do it. The last portion, I think you have to climb up like a rock face and you have to hang on to a railing and I think you need equipment for it. So I'm trying to organize a trip out West to do that. Um, mm. I've never been out West, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, that would be my dream hike. But as far as the most amazing hike I've done in recent future was I did a Bar Harbor up in Acadia, Acadia Park up in Maine. Mm -hmm. Just absolutely beautiful. Maine is one of the most just beautiful. The air is so clean. It's just a wonderful state. I love everything about it up there. It's totally different from anything close to Philadelphia. We just got uh, soupy hot weather and a lot of trash in the streets here. <laughs> so it's nice to get to a very clean state like that. It was really nice. Yeah, for me, I think I would want to hike a portion maybe of the AT or maybe one of those famous, you know, trails. But really, any trail that's really beautiful and challenging can be can be perfect. That's the that's the advantage of hiking is that anything a hike can be anything, you know, it can be any, you know, there's a lot so much diversity, um, so many trails all over the country. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite one that you've done? Um, I mean, just walking around a park, um, there's a park in my community where I live, uh, a hiking park with a lot of different trails and it's, it's on this cliff, it's in these cliff areas. So there's a lot of these long steep hills and it's very beautiful. And there's a lot, like a lot of clay and just, it, it looks very nice. And it's a very, very good, very good hard walk. Um, it's about five miles. So it's, it's, it's a pretty good, it's about a two, two hour walk, a pretty, a pretty good walk. Yeah. That's great. And I think it's yeah. a great way to get some exercise in. And also it's nice to just recharge and get out into nature a little bit, especially if you live in a more urban area or you just live in the city. It's so incredibly relaxing to get some time and de-stress. It's the unknown, I guess, constant tension of living around so many people and so much traffic that yeah. especially individuals who live in a city or a very, very populated, maybe even home, especially with COVID, just getting out and getting a little bit of time to reflect and relax and, and nature is so, so incredibly beneficial to mental and physical health. I couldn't recommend it more. So I love that we share that in common. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, in my, and it's very funny in my case, I live in the countryside um, and I live with my parents and brother, but still it's good to get out because that's how great hiking is. Hiking is still great no matter what, but yeah, if you live in a city environment, um, yeah, my, my brother graduated from Temple, so I'm familiar with, with Philadelphia. So, oh, yeah? I mean, if you're, oh yeah. Um, so if, you know, if you're used to living in that environment, then I can understand why you would want to go for a hike. <laughs> yes. I'm sure your brother probably wanted a, a hike pretty often living in the Temple area. <laughs> Actually he didn't. And he moved there just because he loves the, he loves the environment of a city. He just right. loves that environment. Yeah. Um, I don't know. He could have, he could have chosen. I think he got accepted at some schools in the Carolinas. Um, it was a really beautiful place, apparently a nice place, all the right courses. It was a beautiful town, right. but he says, no, I have to go to Philadelphia. <laughs> well, Hey, I, I'm not going to trash talk Philadelphia because I do love this city. Yeah. It is, it's a wonderful it is a beautiful place. city. It's very fun. We have the craziest sports teams and fans. So yeah. I got to say, I do love Philadelphia a lot. And there are a couple actually really nice hikes over here that there, there are accessible places to go. So I, I really do like that aspect, but you know, I, I enjoy getting out in nature a little bit. And I think that being closer to more hiking would be something in my future. Mm, yeah. Probably in Pennsylvania, there's a lot of trails in, in the rural Pennsylvania area. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. yes. And I've, I've done a stretch of the, uh, I think the, I think I did a stretch of the AT with 
with my cousin and some of my buddies a while back. So you could definitely get that done, Aaron. I think you can. Great. Yeah. How long now, specifically what stretch did you do and how long, like how much of the trail did you actually choose to spend hiking it? Not too much. We did a thing where we would drop one car off at either end. And mm -hmm. I think it was a group of four of us and we only hiked for two overnight trips and we were pretty beat up by the end of it. This is a pretty tough stretch that we picked. I got to ask them what portion we did of it. Um, but it was really nice. And I did one more overnighter where we did a portion of the trail with my brothers. We did that for one of my brother's birthdays and we camped out and just overlooked the ridgeline. I'd have to, I'd have to look back on the name of the specifics of where we were at, but there's some really great short stretches. The only thing that stinks is sometimes you got to go hike down really far to get some water. And it was like a very hot summer when we went two or three years ago. So we were sweating. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I could, I mean, I would do something like that any, you know, any season, but I'm sure that the trail is incredibly beautiful all times of the year, especially in the summer. Um, but if it's not too cold, it would also be beautiful in the winter, probably. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's really, really fascinating. Um, so, I mean, and the other, the other question is, you know, uh, of many, how did you find out about the very, the particular group that you posted um, your post in? Um, I mean, that's not really the main group uh, for blind people on Facebook. So how did you find out about that group, by the way? Right. So I've really been doing a lot of this on my own um, mm -hmm. in the sense where I've been looking to just connect with as many people as possible. My, my primary goal is to really just help as many people as I can and to make a difference in the physical fitness realm. I don't want to be a personal trainer who just trains Joe Schmo and does what I do and just calls it a day. Um, I really am interested in creating something unique and beneficial. And I think this again comes back to my work with Vicki George. She's an absolutely just wonderful woman and the inroads and things that she's done for just the broader community at whole and trying to get, I guess, physical fitness to be more accessible is something that really inspired me. And I think that it's just been my, my goal to reach out to as many groups as possible. So what I started to do is just search around on Facebook for as many advocacy groups for blind community as possible. Um, I recently met a lovely lady who is the president of the Kentucky chapter for the ACB. Um, her name is Shirley. She is absolutely phenomenal. And she has been a tremendous friend and help in getting me in touch with a variety of other individuals. So we actually met from Facebook. I think I posted in one of the other groups and I think she is a member and that was how we got in contact. So I recently met with their chapter. I talked to some of the individuals there and she's been helping get me in touch with other chapters. So I've been meeting a lot of people out in Kentucky virtually and I've been trying to do some things along those lines. I have another meeting coming up this week. Um, so more or less, I've been just trying to post around as much as possible and I'm scratching my head for as many ways that I can meet as many people as I can. Because quite honestly, this is still a relatively new idea that I'm developing and I'm trying to get as much feedback as possible because I want to keep working as hard as possible to create the best possible content. It's something I really love to do and it's something that I can see is getting people excited, which makes me excited about it because I really do recognize that there is a massive hole and a lack of trainers and individuals who want to make fitness more accessible. I mean, heck, most gyms you go into are not even ADA compliant, which is just absurd. You can't really even get in them easily and you're going to kick your foot off on the corner of something. It's a mess. Um, so 
it's something I'm very aware is a problem. And it's something that I'm very passionate about helping. So this was my attempt at just searching the internet far and wide in any possible way that I can make connections and make friends and inroads to learn more and see how I can continue to create useful things. Oh, you are you are certainly successful at it. No, no question in my mind about that. I mean, have you thought about starting a podcast? It's a great way to get a message out. I don't know if I have a voice that's quite as good as yours, but um... I, I, appre- <laughs> I appreciate it. But you know what? I think I think you have a face for podcasting. I think I think you have the confidence to have a podcast. I really believe that. I think I think you should have a podcast. Um, and I think that after this conversation. I can certainly, if you would like, put you in contact with the other blind people that I know who work in your profession who are blind, um, one of whom, one of them is, well, both are very, well, all of them are very incredibly knowledgeable, like you're incredibly knowledgeable about the various areas, but one is actually a, a Paralympic athlete who's been in the Paralympics several times. Um, so I know that person. I also know someone who is a nutrition expert. I'll, t- I'll tell hey, you. I'll tell you. I want the names, but you can tell me all. I'll tell you. I heard clicking. that. I heard that. I'll tell, <laughs> I'll tell you are so much. I really, I really appreciate that. I really, really appreciate your, your <laughs> level of motivation. That will, that will you know what? And young people, you know, children are, are not are forbidden to watch Aaron's opinion because my content is for adults only. But that yeah. was that was a just a great lesson. That is you're showing me your motivation. Uh, you're 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 a bit too enthusiastic, but we need that at this at this point in society. <laughs> no, I think we really do. And I, I believe there's a lot of individuals, especially in the fitness community. I'm not going to talk bad about yeah. colleagues because there are some wonderful trainers out oh, there. There's but- some amazing people. The ones Absolutely. I will connect you to are, are truly, are, are grossly talented and grossly knowledgeable about their subjects. Yes. I would be beyond grateful and thrilled to meet them. So oh, you can give so me the contact information off and I will re- refrain from clicking my pen anymore. <laughs> that's fine. I loved it. I loved it. It's actually now going to be part of the title. So that, that, that pen, that pen <laughs> click was perfect. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think that one of, one of the, biggest problems and you don't and I'm you know you don't even work in this area it starts it actually starts with a child going to school and they're blind and they are not appropriately included in the physical education class so that's where we need people like you we need people with your level of interest your level of kindness and your level of motivation to work in the school system and actually be a physical education instructor I know you don't want to, and I can't really blame you, but you know, that's, that's where it starts. That's where the appreciation for health and fitness starts. And really the problem, not to point fingers, there are some amazing people in physical education. There truly are. And there are a lot of people who are in physical education because I don't know, they thought it was easy or something (laughs) like that. So but the, that's, you know, you're, you're taking the problem from, you know, the adult perspective where we are, you know, I'm 30 years old, right? So the problem that blind people have doesn't start when you're 30, starts when you're six years old, seven years old, eight years old, and not being appropriately included. So I think I could be wrong, but I think one thing you could definitely do is start some sort of program or some sort of 
section of what you do where maybe you go around and you talk to physical education teachers about what you do. And you talk to them and make the connection between describing things so that you can make the connection so that they want to be a better teacher themselves. Because quite frankly, we have a lot of people who are teachers who for many reasons are not motivated appropriately. And it, and it does affect their performance and there's no reason for it. If they talk to you, they would be motivated. So that's, that's one thing that you should seriously, I very well could be wrong. Okay, yeah, you, okay, the pen's already out, so you don't, so you don't have to click it a second time. <laughs> but that's one thing. That's one thing I would, I would strongly recommend is that you try to develop. And as you can tell, I don't really know what the word is for it, but like, what's I the guess word? Advocacy, like, and advocacy, no, but and not education. advocacy. Like uh, some sort of a thing where you go to a meeting at a school with like the group of all the physical education teachers in a county, right? You sit them down in a big room, you introduce yourself and you say, what I'm going to tell you today will motivate you to be a better phys physical education instructor. And what I'm gonna tell you today will be, will be helpful when you educate anyone, whether they're blind or not. And then you basically go through your presentation about the experiences you've had and you show them that information. That would be just, I mean, what you're doing now in Philadelphia is tremendously, is immensely helpful and beneficial, but where I see the gap and where, where the huge other problem is, is within the school system. You know, that's, so, I mean, what, what do you think of all of that, by the way? I, I honestly think that that is a very, very important piece to this. Um, I, I do agree in as a whole, the education system is definitely leaving a lot of kids lacking. Um, whether or not you're working with lower limited vision, it's it's not necessarily been kind to phys ed in the past, I'd say 30, 40 years. It's been the slow removal of exercise. I know when I was in grade school, our recess was 15 minutes, which was no, not nearly enough. That's, um, that's not recess. That's just that's just enough time to use the toilet and get a drink, cup of coffee, and sit back down. You know exactly. Like, you can't silly. do anything in that period of time. That's no. that's barely enough to get anything done. We did have once a week. I think one day we had a a period for for fitness. And I think like you were just saying, the gap though is teachers don't know how, or they're not willing to learn how to train individuals who have a variety of disabilities. This isn't just limited to the blind community. This extends no. far beyond that. And this is any and most trainers I've met. Um, it's the, I don't know if it's the fear of the unknown of stepping outside of their comfort zone to train individuals that they're unfamiliar with, whether they think they're going to offend somebody, because I know that particularly today, people are very concerned about offending other people when really I think most people just want to be heard and to be given the opportunity. And I believe that wholesale, you should go into an open-minded conversation and be ready to communicate with people. And most people aren't nearly as ready to be offended as most people would think if they just give them the opportunity and treat them like another person. And mm -hmm. I, I have been, I've confirmed that on every basis. Most people just want to be treated like a normal person because they are. Um, so I, I truly do believe that that is a very important point. And like you said, I didn't have to click my pen, but I did write that down because I think Getting involved with schools <laughs> and maybe trying to help these teachers um, could be useful, but I, I do think it it starts with advocacy, but not in the term where everybody just says, yeah, we need advocacy for this, we need advocacy for that. Um, I do think that there needs to be a 
perspective shift, perhaps, of how the average fitness instructor or phys ed teacher views individuals, but individuals with a plethora of disabilities. And we need to find a way to include and incorporate individuals in a different way. So as you were saying that, my next challenge is going to be, how can I utilize technology and leverage what I have and what I know to be available to help integrate and make fitness more accessible in a school system? So that's going to probably be a new thing that I'm gonna be racking my brain on. So thank you for the upcoming sleepless nights, Aaron. I appreciate that. My pleasure, my <laughs> pleasure. Oh, and don't forget, you should get enough sleep at night too. That is, that's another part of health too. Getting it enough. absolutely is. Anything it, less or more it. than eight. Yeah, that's the problem. I think that's, that's another overlooked one. Now, a lot of people do not sleep properly. That's a huge problem. Yeah. You find yourself sleeping well? Yes. So that's, a, that's something I definitely do work with a lot of my clients on. Mm -hmm. um, I, I truly believe that you need to recover and rest as hard as you exercise. I think almost every trainer I know or fitness professional that I know has been guilty of overtraining and under-recovering and myself included. I've injured myself in the past from overtraining and not recovering enough. And um, again, sometimes we think, especially in our culture, more is better or bigger is better, but sometimes... No more is getting a little bit less and maybe just relaxing and recovering more. Um, but I absolutely agree. The goal is always going to be seven to eight hours of sleep, but it's got to be quality sleep. It can't be poor sleep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of blind people um, suffer from non-24, um, which luckily I don't suffer from that. Are you, are you familiar with that one? Could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, for of me? course. Yeah. It's really, it's critical. It's a huge problem. It's where, um, if you're, okay, I have some usable vision and no, this is not going to make sense. I have usable vision. I see a little bit and I'm blind. Okay. No, that didn't make sense. No, it didn't. If you're someone who is totally blind without any light perception at all, your brain does not know your circadian clock gets messed up and you don't know when to be awake and when to be asleep. Um, and this is why schedules are so important. You kind of picked up on the fact that I have an obsession with clocks and schedules because it's really important to keep your brain and body on the same schedule every single day. And a lot of blind people who come to you are probably going to have non-24 where they like, you could be having a, a podcast meeting with someone and they would just fall asleep like in the middle of a sentence. It's that, right. it's that severe. Um, I knew a guy who had it really bad. Um, and I hope he's taking the medication for it. Now there's medication for that type of thing. But yeah, that's a, that's a really huge problem in the blindness community. And of course, you know, if you can't stay awake during the day, then you can't work. You can't, you know, socialize appropriately with others. That's any, an enormously huge challenge in, uh, in, within the community. Mm -hmm. so that's really, that's really interesting. I'm happy you brought up sleep and vision. Not 24. Yeah. Yes. I wrote that down. I'm going to do a little bit more research on this, but I, I oh, did. I'm so glad. Yeah. I'm just, I did just listen to a podcast that actually talks about um, circadian rhythms mm -hmm. and how we have particular receptors in our eyes that actually help us sync up to light. And um, he did touch a little bit on individuals with limited vision who still have some usable vision. Um, I'm not certain as far as the blind aspect, if you have no light perception, whether or not the nerves still function no. in its semblance. The, the, answer, the answer, in my opinion, is no, they would not, because 
if the if the brain is not perceiving light, right, then the then the then that whole aspect of circadian rhythm just doesn't get connected. I mean, right. so so the answer is no. So it is different. So if the person does not have light perception, then they are significantly high risk of developing symptoms of nine of non twenty four. Um, you would notice it right away if you were working with them. You would be having a conversation, and then all of a sudden the person would just like like not out like but like really suddenly you wouldn't be like how do i even express it to you it's not like you're working with me you're working with aaron and you notice okay i don't know one day oh i yawned one time during during a lesson or, or during a course no that's not non-24 right. it, it's a it's a medical how do i even express it to you it's a medical it's a medical condition that is somewhat created by the way that the person lives their life but it has a lot to do with them not seeing the sun and not seeing light right and i mean the, so the light the light is. is the light is the most important part of as far as setting your circadian rhythm because that is something that triggers hormone hormonal release as well right. as starts your metabolism up so um a lot of what just to plug the podcast, anybody who has some usable vision that is in the low vision community, um, it's actually a really awesome podcast. It's called Huberman Labs, and it's a Stanford professor who does a podcast as well. And I tend to try and educate myself as often as possible. So I listen to podcasts when I exercise. Um, it's a really interesting episode. You can search on any engine, just Huberman Labs site or vision, and you should be able to find reference to the podcast with timestamps. Um, and there's some really interesting stuff on there, but he goes into a lot of detail about how waking up and if you do have some reception to light, getting outside first thing in the morning will start and boost your metabolism by triggering all of the hormonal responses to light, and it will actually sync up your circadian rhythm. So this is interesting to hear about the flip side and how common this is. Aaron, do you know what percentage of the population of individuals who are completely without um, vision I, have non-24? I don't. That's a great follow-up. I don't know. Um, but what I do know is the, the problem is, is that once you have it, it, you know, once your circadian clock gets unplugged from the wall, basically, I'm just creating that analogy. Once the clock right. gets unplugged, it's very hard to plug it back in. So if you can, one other thing is if you can over time, notice the symptoms of non 24 and try to bring it up to the person. The problem is there's a stigma in the blindness community about non-24. So if you say, hey, Michael, do you have non-24? No, no, I don't, I'm just tired, I'm just tired. Like right. they, wouldn't, they wouldn't admit to it unless they're talking to a doctor. And th this is a huge problem. Does, that, huge does it force you if you admit it to somebody that they would then require you to get some sort of medical paperwork or something? So is this is a more of know. a means of self-preservation so you don't have to worry about losing your job or some form well, of independence. Is I that no, why? I have no idea. Perfect. I have no idea. Um, I mean, I, I think I'm going back with my own opinion. In my opinion, it does seem to be a medical condition. In other words, I'm not devaluing it in any way or sense of the imagination. It's real. It clearly is real. Absolutely. Um, and I've seen the way it affects certain, this one particular blind man. I, it's, a bit of a long story. I'm not like, I'm not in contact with him anymore. We, we lost contact, but you know, he had it like really bad. And, you know, he was a university student um, and it was really affecting his health. And so this is, 
this is a a huge a huge thing um i mean i don't know if you have to i have no idea if you have to prove something like that i mean again once you study up on the symptoms and then you see it it's very distinctive it's not something that you can fake so in right. other words you can't be working with a blind say some blind teenager and they're just tired and you can't accept the excuse oh well, well, Brandon, I have none 24, so I don't want to work out today. No, the, <laughs> no, the, no, the excuse doesn't quite work like that. It's quite as severe, no. the, you, you know, and you would, you would understand it. If you saw it, you would. I'm certain it, I would. It, you know, you know what I mean? From a, from a professional standpoint, it, it would, it would click, it would, it would click in your mind. Um, and of course it affects their heart, it affects their brain. So that's, that's something else to learn more about to further your knowledge. I'm so glad I'm able to give you more knowledge in this episode. That's why I created the podcast. Absolutely. Um, as as um, a whole, I'm so appreciative that I'm able to help you as a per, as a as a professional. That's so cool, man. So you said that, by the way, you said that you work with people with other abilities and other disabilities outside of blindness. So tell me more about that. That's very interesting to me. Right. Absolutely. Um, well, just to finish up and wrap up on talking sure, sure. about non 24, I want to of say, course. yeah, thank you for bringing that to my attention because that is something that I haven't had direct exposure with yet, but that is something I'm going to try and educate myself more on. And this is such a big reason as to why I want to be more involved with the community and meet more people and hear more about specific difficulties that are trying to be worked through um, because there could be in five, 10 years, more research on how physical fitness can also improve those without, you know, light visibility to be able to improve their circadian rhythm or maybe even improve symptoms. So I'm going to do some brushing up on some various studies to see if I can pull up any information about this. Um, but as far as you were saying, working with individuals with other disabilities, um, the most recent one that I've worked with was multiple sclerosis. This was, and this is my friend who I absolutely adore. Um, we started training together and she's quadriplegic and she has progressive MS. And we started working together when she more or less had little to no use of her, of her um, lower limbs and her upper body. Her arms were relatively, she could still do some things with them. And amazingly enough, when we could put her on a leg press machine, so for those of you to get an idea of what this exercise machine is, if you've never used it, you're basically in a seated position and there is a platform that you would lift and place your feet on. And you're in a seated upright position with your feet extended down in front of you. So imagine you're just sitting down and you're essentially pushing a sled away or you're pushing the chair up and away and you put a certain amount of resistance on it. So it's like you're lifting a weighted chair up. So you're basically doing a weighted squat from a seated position. And what we found was that for whatever reason, um, when we placed her on the sled or the chair, she could actually get going quite well after we would help her with the first few reps. And she could just keep going for quite a while. Um, and I ended up becoming her trainer. I don't know if it was because she, she just wanted to work with me particularly. Um, but we ended up having a really good friendship that, that evolved from there. And we were able to break some new records for her, her exercise. And we ended up training together for about four years. And we also started progressing to doing some arm exercises. And similar things worked where once we got things moving, it kind of worked. And this has to do, I think, with just more or less the way that MS functions. So if you have multiple sclerosis or if you know anybody who has it, um, the condition is typically in some cases progressive, but it depends on which type of MS you have. Um, and in her condition, hers is progressive. So it's not necessarily ever going to get quote unquote better unless we come up with some new creative solution 
or I guess treatment for it. So what happens is the myelin sheath, which is basically, I try to describe it as a road that a message will travel on. So if you want to tell your feet to move, your brain will send a little messenger in a car down a road. And that car is going to drive down to your foot and say, hey, you got to move. And then your foot will move. But what happens if you have MS is that road gets a whole bunch of potholes. And sometimes the potholes are so bad that the car breaks down on the way there. And if you're trying to make your way there and the road's too bad for you to get there, those messages just don't make it. And essentially, MS is the breakdown and the degradation of all of those pathways. And what happens typically is the farther away that the car needs to drive to get to its location, the more potholes that car encounters. So the car is that much more likely to break down. So typically, people lose the farthest extremities ability to move first. And what we were finding was that, again, similar, I don't know if this has to do with the reciprocal inhibition and those patterns that we were talking about with what I did in the locomotor lab. But the actual movement of getting somebody going can actually help them restart and work through some of those movements. So it's almost like we're slapping some spare tires on the car and getting it that last little bit of the way, albeit the car is battered, but it still gets there. And that was a really, really amazing and just incredible experience getting to work with somebody who was so damn optimistic and working through such a difficult experience, um, but also wanted and had so much love and energy to give outward to the community who poured all of her free time into creating something that would help others. Uh, she really, really inspired me from a younger age to try and reciprocate that sort of energy and outward care for individuals. And you, you can't fake something like that. And you can't, you can't fake motivation like that. And that really stuck with me. And I just hope that I can even do a quarter or a 10th or hundredth of what she has done for others. So that was a really impactful thing for me to get to work with. That's really fascinating. So, I, and I really love the analogy with the car and the road. That's very, um, no pun intended, that's very tangible. That's very understandable. Um, what, have you ever worked with someone, um, again, Go either going back to what you were saying at the beginning of the episode with the T who has who's went through the TBIs or MS. Have you ever worked with a client who had either one of those conditions and just made a like complete 180? Is that even like medically possible? Like, have you ever seen a complete 100% just restart of the whole computer? Basically, what do you think? Um, the most impressive things that I've seen were probably some of the individuals who've gone through the locomotor lab. Uh, we've seen people come in in wheelchairs with maybe five to 10% ability to manually move their own lower extremities and then walk out after a couple months. Um, and wow. that's pretty amazing stuff. So to anybody out there who, you know, wants to contribute to the work that they do at McGee. I have nothing but love for the individuals there. They have a really great team there and the work that they do and other locomotor retraining facilities across the U S that exist. Um, anything that is related to that field is truly amazing. And there's some really cool equipment out there. Like I said, they've created a whole line of technology um, that more or less you can get strapped into almost like a it's basically like a body suit of mechanical technology. So imagine you're getting your legs strapped into a robot basically, and it helps manually walk you through this. And 
based on the settings, it will give you a certain amount of assistance. So the stronger you get, the harder you have to work. And this is a developing form of tech and the exosuits that they're developing are just so cool to work with. It's like a, a little kid's tech dream. So it's really cool stuff. And um, I've seen some pretty incredible turnarounds, but um, it's not always guaranteed that that's going to happen because the way the spinal cord does work, depending on the degree of the injury, sometimes you simply cannot get through it. So sometimes we're trying to drive a car through, again, a bunch of potholes, you might get a flat or two. Sometimes you're trying to drive a car through the Grand Canyon. And when the mm. damage is that bad, you're just not going to make it. Doesn't matter how big the ramp is you build, um, you're just not going to make it. And that that is from relatively extreme injuries. So think when we're talking spinal cord in the C vertebrae. So when we're in the cervical vertebrae, so if we're up pretty high, so if we're talking under three, four vertebrae, it's going to be pretty tough. And we're talking about pretty severe permanent damage. So most of the individuals who see the greatest return are people who are working from mid spine down. So think thoracic and lumbar. They're the individuals who have the higher probability of coming back from a spinal cord injury like that. Mm -hmm. That's that's really fascinating. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and outside of that, as far as what you're doing now, um, what are some future ideas or future goals that, you know, as you continue to work in this field, you know, maybe for another 20, 30 years, I don't know. If you look back and you say, I'm really glad that I accomplished this one thing, or I'm really glad that I gave this one gift to someone, what, what would that accomplishment or achievement or gift be? What do you think? That's a really good question. Um, so you're basically asking me what, what my biggest goal could be in the next 20, 30 years. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what do you really want your impact to be? Like looking back after, after you retire and you look back, you would, you would want to say, I'm glad that I worked in the field I did because I accomplished ABC. And what that's would a, that thing be? Yeah. That's a wonderful question. Uh, I would like to look back in maybe 20 to 30 years. First and foremost, my family is always going to be my most important thing to me. I want to make so sure good. I take care of those around me. Um, that is, I'm, I'm grateful to have the wonderful people I have. So obviously that I spend quality time with them and I'm able to make great memories with them, but also the friends I get to make along the way. But from a professional standpoint, it's also my passion. So I, I really am not somebody who thinks small. I want to think big. And I do believe in... The magic of that. There's a wonderful book, The Power and the Magic of Thinking Big. So if anybody out there wants a great book to read, I truly do believe in a philosophy like that. If you're going to do something, try and do it and do it big. And I really hope that in 20, 30 years that I can make a lasting impact or maybe some form of change where I can help educate individuals and other professionals on ways that we can make fitness more accessible. That's, that's really what it comes down to. And I I love fitness and I love how it makes me feel. I love how it's a wonderful way to bring a community together. It brings people together and it can bring out the best. And whether it's walking or hiking, like you said, Aaron, fitness doesn't need to be just lifting a thousand pounds. It's what makes you happy and what gets you active. And really just making people understand that is probably going to be what I want to do. And just allowing people to feel like they can be a part of fitness. You don't have to feel like you can't go outside or exercise. Um, everybody should be able to do it in their own capacity and they should do it in a way that it makes them happy. And I think just really spreading that sort of understanding and love and excitement about exercise is my overarching goal. So I hope I can do that. 
And, you know, like I said, you just gave me another idea. Maybe I'm going to work through education. And that's something I can start trying to do is help teach from the ground up because you are right. That is where the problem starts. So perhaps in another three to five years, I will redefine this to say, maybe I can do something in the school system. So I try and revamp every three years what my big goal is. So I think next three, it's getting advocacy as wide as possible and helping as many people as possible. And then we're going to see what we can do in the school system. So good. So good. So, you know, if you can ask me only one question because we're out of time, but if you, as I like to end every, every amazing episode by asking this, if you can ask me personally, only one question to make me sweat, to see if I'm worth my salt, what do you want to ask me? Oh man, that is a tough one. Now, no question, no question can offend me. So I, I, I expect a really good question from you. Someone with your level of motivation, I'm expecting a really good question. Oh man, that's really tough. Huh. Oh boy, you, you put you put up with me for an entire hour. I thought <laughs> I thought I would think you would have at least one question for me. What was the most uncomfortable scenario that you've been put in in the past, let's say, year? Physic well, physically Fitness or mentally. Wise. Let's make it let's make okay. it physical wise. What is the most uncomfortable thing that you've had Ooh, to do in the past year? Um, I mean, I think that that's an interesting one. I think that the the hiking is is a challenge for me a little bit, but it's a good challenge. It's hard, but I feel better once I do it. So I think for me, a good hike is a is a fair challenge for me. I get a lot out of it. Um it's, you know, a very long story, but I have other outside of the blindness, I have some other things going on. So for me, the hiking is, is a really, I just feel better when I do it. It is hard, but I overcome it and I feel better when I do the hiking. So I guess my sport is hiking. I guess that would be my connection, I guess. Well, yeah. to, to maybe ex extrapolate, expand on that, let's say is what has been, what would be, or what has been the biggest limitation to you maybe expanding or trying things outside of your comfort zone in the realm of physical fitness? Sure, sure. Um, I think a, a lot of times it's the expectations and misunderstandings that sighted people have. So a lot of times blind people especially are excluded from participating in these types of advanced activities, you know, um, higher risk sports are oftentimes excluded, um, to the blindness community. So by the way, of course, we'll keep talking off the air, but if someone wants to get in touch with you, how can they do it? Absolutely. So if you're interested in reaching out to me directly, whether you'd like to communicate with me, whether you'd like to learn more about what I do, or if you're interested in trying out some of the audio programs I have, just so everybody does know, I do have a free stretching program available right now. Um, I have an upper body fitness program that the way it functions is there's three degrees of difficulty to it. This is designed again to make it as accessible as possible. It's all my lovely voice. Um, so I will walk you through a library that is educational in nature. These are all non-equipment based exercises. So it's as accessible as possible. Um, and I will teach you how to do the introductory or basic forms of exercises in the first level. Level two would be a more progressed version. And then three would be a challenging workout. So it progresses very smoothly as the exercises will get harder, but they're logical. And there's an educational library that goes with each difficulty. And then there's a corresponding workout. So the whole premise is, again, it's designed to be as simple and clear as possible. And it's also accessible. And I describe how to do them if, with quite a bit of detail. So you will know how to do your exercises. I have an upper body and a lower body program. There's a stretching circuit that is designed for individuals who sit down quite a lot. They, that is called my quick fix series. I describe, it's basically a described audio stretching program. 
All of these are available online at tactiletraining.com. Again, that's tactiletraining.com. So it'll be spelled as it sounds, T-A-C-T-I-L-E, training.com. Um, you can also reach me via email at getfit at tactiletraining.com. That's get, G-E-T, fit, F-I-T, at tactiletraining.com. Those are going to be the best ways to reach out to me. Um, other than that, you can probably find me on a variety of forum pages. I also have a Facebook page. You can also reach me there at tactiletraining.com. Thank you so much. You are always welcome here and have a great day. Thank you so much, Aaron. It's been really fun. You've been listening to Piani Clicked His Pen right here on Life Improvement Radio or wherever else you get a podcast or even on YouTube. Um, as I wanted to say, or as I've been thinking, um, as I always say at the end of every episode, Brandon, thanks so much for joining me. Um, as I said, your your love for your background and your the interest that you have in doing the right thing and helping people live a healthy life through your technology and knowledge and exercise science is really impressive and it really shines through and it's definitely worth celebrating. Thank you for that. Um, I wish you the very best of health to you, very best of luck, and I'm sure that you will have a great amount of success um, in your future endeavors. I really do. Telephone number 1240-681-9869. Aaron's Opinion 6 at gmail.com. Follow on Facebook, Twitter, even consider becoming a patron on my Patreon page and comment on YouTube. I want to take this time to thank the Helium Radio Network for syndicating Aaron's opinion. Thanks so much. Wanted to take this time to thank you, the audience from all the continents all over the world, for tuning in and listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, everybody. I'm sure we'll get a lot of questions. It was definitely interesting, as all episodes are. So thanks so much, everybody. That's basically all I can say, all I have for this one. Um, Very best of luck and health to everyone around the world. As we like to say here at Aaron's Opinion, help one person today, help one million people tomorrow. Aaron Richmond, Aaron's Opinion, Life Improvement Radio on the Helium Radio Network.